this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. There, there comes times uh, in these podcasts when I have a guest on who is very special, and today's guest is that. He is the uh, co-founder of Remy Bumpo Theater, one of the most revered directors in town, James Bonin. Hello, James. Hi, Tom. How are you? Great. Uh, tell us about your swan song at Remy Bumpo, the great production of The Goat. Well, thank you for the for the great comment. Uh, oh, it was uh, agonizing to work on. Um, I mean, hugely challenging and enjoyable. But uh, I said to someone yesterday, I, I don't remember a rehearsal process where I had more headaches. You know, where you just, because you're there standing in the room day after day telling all these brave actors to go further, go deeper, hurt more. And it's it's very agonizing to do that. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and of course, then you have all the technical aspects of it, of making sure the story is clear, making sure that the pottery breaks, you know, all of those, all the other things that we worry about. But this play in particular, because it's so personal and it's so kind of agonizing a, a journey for really for all four of the people that it's just unrelenting and the rehearsals were just oh my god they were hard it, and it's a it's a play that if you tell the story of it it seems like a simple story but this this thing has m so many levels yeah and that's i think that's true of much of albie's best work uh, you know he's a such a clever articulate almost hyper articulate writer and his, but his, the way that you kind of have to keep excavating down in the labyrinth is is really amazing. It's it's true of delicate balance as well. Yes. You know, it's just that that's you just have to not be content with what might seem like the right answer the first week of rehearsal or second week of rehearsal. You just have to keep working and working and working so this yeah. is a play that, that you're you are um that you're definitely uh had to really think about and reinterpret in a certain or or, or get what he what yeah yeah I, yeah i don't i tend i'm not a, a huge reinterpreter of people's works uh it's not sort of not what i'm known for i mean obviously like all of us do a lot of shakespeare i move shakespeare around in, to various periods and things but i i really was trained many years ago to to just sniff out the story and tell it as clearly as you can, and and that's basically what I do, you know, or well, try to do. Why I did mean, you select the goat for your swan song here at Remy Bumpo? Well, to be honest, we were interested in in who's afraid of Virginia Woolf uh, for Annabelle uh, and for Nick, and uh, we I got wind uh, via the way that you get wind in, in towns like this so that someone else was going to was thinking about doing it, so I called that someone else and she confirmed that they were doing it and uh talking about the great production it's oh a wonderful yeah, production yes, Stephen wolf and and so martha apologized she, martha left me a wonderful voicemail saying i know it'd be a great part for annabelle but you know we this has been on our docket and you know so we um i had never even read the goat but we were determined to do a season because it was my last season of really, really great writers and writers that we'd you know either done before or. So you never read it? Had you, had you seen a production? Nope, of it? never seen a production. Never read it. 
I was in London when it was being when it was on at the Almeida, but I didn't have time to put it in my schedule years ago. And when I read it, Tom, my my hair stood up on the back <laughs> of my neck. I just thought this is an amazing, terrifying play. Well, I must admit, the first I've seen it twice. Well, this is your production's at my third. I was lukewarm on the play until I saw that what you did mm-hmm. with it. And like I said, you didn't reinterpret; it. you just got to the to the core of what it's about. Well, I think, to be honest, I think it's a hard play to do in any place, but I think it would be very much harder to do in a huge theater. Uh, so that the fact that we had this intimate space allowed me to to think about it in a way that was very determinedly personal. And so the, I mean, so that you know, the audience can really see everybody all the time, and they can they can watch reactions, and they can notice an oh, eye yeah. twitching oh, yeah. or, or whatever. I mean, so that what I call you know what everybody calls acting off the line. I mean, without stealing focus, so that so that the actors could just live in the play. I think in a different way than you might be able to live in this play in a big theater. Well, a lot of it was the way you. I think the way you blocked the play. Mm-hmm. You know, at key times, you had the, the movement. It, it was like a, it was almost like a ballet, mm-hmm. but it wasn't distracting. It just brought, oh, good. Oh, good. each time they moved, it brought things to another level. Yeah, we, you know, we we all try to do that with blocking. Uh, you know, you try to tell the story with the blocking. I, I'm uh, sometimes not very good at it, but uh, but Tim's set really yeah, kind of put a lot of pressure forward, which I loved. You know, it sort of made us play the play almost in the audience's lap. And and for a play like this to be played right in the audience's lap is, is really challenging uh, for but both it, the actors and the audience, frankly. But when it works, it can't be more powerful, and this one worked. Oh, well, I, I thank you for that. I appreciate it. And Annabelle told me in the, in the interview I just recently did with her about, she went into the detail on, on how you got her to, to uh, reach such emotional variety and depth in in one of her big scene her big scene with mm-hmm. with Nick when she's just letting her rage go mm-hmm. tell us about how how you how you approach that oh gosh her and um yeah you know you you do so many little things in in a, in a rehearsal process and you're watching and listening and waiting oftentimes because you know you can see things cooking in there and you and you but you don't want to push too fast too 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 hard, too fast, in a, in a situation like this one, where you know you're asking them to go so deeply into their own psyche to be believable in these roles. But I did know, you know, she had started with a kind of wolf howl, which I thought was really fascinating, and it was a great departure point. But at some point, I just uh, I felt like I needed to nudge her off of that a little, and so I gave her uh, uh, the movie Fanny and Alexander, Ingmar Bergman's magnificent oh, yes. film from the '80s, in which the the lead actress in the movie's husband dies, and she has this terrifying scene where she's screaming as she's walking back and forth, yeah, and you sort of that. see it through a almost closed door. You're yeah. seeing it through the eyes yeah. of, their, of her children, and I've I've been haunted by that scene for. 25 years. And so I lent her the movie, and I think that that at least showed her a different path to the waterfall, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so then we kind of, and then we started very late, kind of added movement to it. There was a, there was a, a long period where she was stock still doing it. 
And then finally, I just, very late, probably in previews, I, I finally said, you know, I think you, it's, it's, a, it's a test. Each one of those screams is a test of yourself so that you have to see whether that's, a, you've done enough to purge yourself enough to go forward and get more of the story, but that you have to release your rage in somehow, or you're going to just throw yourself at him and beat him up or kill him. And, I, you know, and that's this play, I think, has to live on that brink all the time. But if you... Yeah, if they're the, trying to understand it, but... Yeah, but... but and, and make and, up their, their mind. But see, it. that's really important, that they are trying to yeah. understand it. That, that this is a play about two people who love each other profoundly and are in a happy marriage. This is not George and Martha. Right. This, this is two a very, very well-adjusted couple who the man has done something inexplicable even to him and she's a good woman and and you know Albie yeah. writes a lot of kind of mean women in yeah. some of his plays so right. no he does yeah. uh, i mean Stevie, he writes Stevie. he writes a lot of of mean women he writes a lot of uh, ineffectual men yeah. but i think that that these two found deep humanity in in both the characters and and we just pushed and pushed and pushed for that because i just felt like if the audience can feel that this is just about a play about a man screwing a barnyard animal then they can completely step away from it and not think that it has anything to do with them. Yeah, the early opening scenes make the play. You see that they they love each other right. and they're and and they know each other real well. And yeah, we very kept, comfortable. yeah, we yeah we kept saying to I and mean, I kept saying to them, touch each other every chance you get, smile at each other's jokes, you know, finish each other's thoughts. You know, it's that kind of casual, relaxed love. That yeah, you really almost successful you almost think this isn't have. an LB play at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, which is great. I <laughs> yeah. see. I love that because mm -hmm. because you don't want it. You don't want this foreshadowing to happen all the time. You know, it's just it's just because everybody. You know, let's face it. The people people know in a kind of vague way that the play involves sex with a goat yeah but but it's so much more than that and so that really has been gratifying and, i thought will pleasant. allen did a terrific oh, job yeah. too he's, uh, he's such a yeah he's, he's really coming on uh yeah. and his scenes with with nick yeah. uh toward the end while they're wondering where where Susie is yeah we're particularly strong it's it's almost another play too yeah i know i know yeah the tones of the scenes are so different in each of them it's it's really you know and you have that long scene at the beginning with between nick and and michael mitchell uh that you know is really backstory and exposition yeah but again we just worked and worked and worked to make little tiny things well you're casting create I mean, uh you know the, adding, these guys had known each other for adding mitchell years. who's a such a Pro. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he was. He's well, really been fun. It was the first time I've worked with him, and it was great. Yeah, he he so. feels really really strong about yeah. the play too. Yeah. I've talked to him about it. But uh, so this is this is your swan song in mm -hmm. in a for Remy Bompo. And you know what? I uh, one last thing sure. about the fact that it's a swan song is it's just the because I really like. Um, I know I have a reputation of being such a nice man, which is of course totally false. But the uh, uh, but the not from uh, what I hear. But the. But I really love provoking people, and this is an incredibly provocative play. And I think it fits very much in what I think the best theater should do for you, which is be wildly entertaining, make you laugh, sometimes make you laugh at times when you think, why am I laughing? But at the same time, really hook you on a story of people you know, who are totally engaged in a problem they're trying to solve. And I just think there's, there's nothing 
more exhilarating than that in the theater. I agree. I yeah. couldn't agree more. Yeah. In looking at one of the slogans for Remy Bumpo, it says, the power of great theatrical language and the selection of plays that you have done over the years are, are, are really kind of based in, in top, in great language. Yeah, that's just because I'm an old, you know, white dinosaur who grew up watching <laughs> all that writing and fell in love with it. Me and, too. Yeah, you know, so that... Uh, that's not to say that there. I don't. I love all kinds of writing, but you know, you you tend to gravitate towards the things that hooked you early, and and it's um, yeah. I just I just I mean the writers that we did and that they'll continue to do, and that's the exciting thing about having Timothy come in is that the you know the writers will be different, but the challenges will be the same. You know, the the sort of zest for language and a love for the kind of challenges of good. Yeah, language. I've already seen your schedule for next year. Yeah, yeah he's going to do some terrific. Oh yeah, stuff. no, yeah. I'm really. I think it's a great. It's a great season. So yeah. tell us how you founded this. 1996. 96, right. Yeah, and it was really, and many people have heard this story, but I mean, it's very, very accidental. Well, for a few of the people that haven't, you've got to retell it. No, I know. <laughs> but there were three of us who, who ran a, a summer equity theater in Aspen in a tent behind the library. And um, we just loved doing it, but we had this dream of, of kind of creating a a kind of cultural center in a small city. Someplace like Burlington, Vermont, or Asheville, North Carolina. These are the places we looked at, Eugene, Oregon. And 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 none of them felt quite ready or right for what we wanted to do. And I had just started working at American Players Theater in Spring Green that summer. We had, we had left the theater in Aspen the year before and had been traveling around for a year and a half, kind of looking for the the last best place we we jokingly called it and um, and I had an apartment here you know and and so we thought oh we'll just do one play here just to kind of do something that'll teach you yeah exactly <laughs> and then and then this is how it's all you know sort of flukish uh, I can't remember the guy's name who was Dennis's sort of you know the guy who rented the theater out for Dennis but he called me uh, and he said, you know, this a slot right after the first slot is opened up. Do you want to do a second play? You did uh, Stoppard's Night and Day. We did Stoppard's yeah. Night and Day, and then we did The Seagull yeah. by Chekhov. And so, you know, suddenly we had this little mini season. And, you know, we didn't really intend to start a theater here because, you know, trust me, the last thing Chicago needed in 1996 was a, yet another theater company. So, you know, we just kind of thought of it, well, we'll do this little mini season of two plays, and that'll be that. And... And then uh, because we were doing a little mini season, we had to have a name. And So, yeah, now here's so – listen up, yeah. folks. This is, so, this is like legend. So, here's oh, the, my here's God. Here's the source. Okay. Yeah, here's the source. And so, you know, to, as, as what became the bane of our existence, of course, we just – we had named the production company after the two pets' names. My One of my partners – Cats named Remy from Remy Martin of the Cognac fame, and my second Labrador, whose name was Natty Bumpo from the Leatherstocking Tales, you know, the last of the Mohicans and things. So we created this just a production name, it was never intended to be public, called Remy Bumpo Productions. And, uh, and then we got persuaded by, uh, by someone to call it that you know say remy bumpo you know oh, make that is, the public yeah, thing. a marketing guy would have jumped all over that and said go with it yeah, yeah well anyway we and then for so then you know then after that my one friend went back to aspen the other friend went to harvard to teach and so i was just alone here and 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 then we kind of slowly built it after that but one of your 
purposes was uh, to do to do repertoire to get a a cast and tell us about that because you're about the only uh, theater. There's others that have you know ensemble members. But yeah, you pretty much keep with the same small group. Yeah, bless their hearts. They're uh, I mean, and they're awesome. All they're all yeah, no, no, and they've been in so many ways. They've been instrumental in in the success of the company, but they've also been. Uh, the public faces of the company because I'm not very uh, public. You know, I don't go around openings and I should, I just don't. And and so the actors have been the public face of the company and that's been a huge benefit. But yeah, we, uh, I mean, I think the third play we did was Heartbreak House, which was a year and a half actually after Seagull Close because the next year I was at Alabama Shakespeare for most of the winter. Okay. Um, and I had met Annabelle and had seen her work and I just I just asked her if she wanted to be in Heartbreak House. And 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 you know, right at the beginning we, I used Mark Van in the first three plays and then he moved to Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I, I just and Ned Schmidtke was in the first two plays. You know, there were just people that I had seen that I really liked and I just thought, Well, I wanna work with these people and then we worked together successfully and so we wanted to do more and Annabelle did then wrote to Mecca, which was when David came on board, David Darlow. Um, I remember that. And Linda Gillum was almost cast in that role, that play. So that, um, you know, that was 1999. And then the other three came on and during the next season, which was Man and Superman and Hapgood. We added Linda and Sean. John actually, Douglas. four. And, and Nick Sands and Joe Van Slyke. That was the first time Joe Van Slyke worked for me, too, which was, on, which was in Hapgood. Uh, the late great Joe Van Slyke. Yeah, he was terrific. Uh, he was absolutely magnificent. But but and so you know, I just liked working with these people, and they liked working with me. And 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 you know, the old and this again a, a story that many people have heard me tell. But but when when we were finally going to settle in and commit to doing seasons, and try to behave like an actual theater company instead of just a bunch of gypsies, I went to Dennis and asked him for his advice. Dennis Zacek. And that's a good man to ask. Oh for, yeah, yeah, no, you know he he's been so helpful over the years. He and Marcy both. But um, but Dennis said the only thing I ever hear about your company that people complain about is that you use the same actors over and over. So why don't you make them part of the company and then people will shut up. <laughs> and I just thought that there was such go. a brilliant idea, yeah. you know, and which I would probably would never have thought of. And and so But in effect you were doing a repertoire well, company. Well, exactly, almost but, but, in the European style, yeah, like by, the Irish do yeah, and the English. By by accident we were already doing it, so this yeah. just codified it and it gave them, you know, a home which every actor wants and you know, and so they helped to choose plays. We read thousands of plays together. We read plays out loud all the time. You know, and and they helped shape policies in the theater. I mean, they were just They've been so they had input on on what plays you did. Too. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But but was great about them, you know. I mean, I frequently had a strong idea of plays we wanted to start with, but you know, and they were never. You know how certain people can proselytize just for the things that they're going to be showcased. Yes, in. I've run and, across and, a few, and none of them succumbed to that. You know, in other words, the conversation was always about the benefit of the of the whole, of all of us not just one person you know and we really tried to balance things so that people you know got plenty of plummy roles uh, but that they also would sometimes not work or sometimes do a small part because they knew that was it was better for the company to do well 
you know, then for them to succeed hugely every single time. You know, uh, let me make a comment about that. That really works so well with your company. It also shows Chicago style. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, the, at New York, a star is a star. Don't ask a star to be on the ensemble. Yeah. Or I, a small, I, or L.A. kind of the. Yeah. But here, you, I've noticed that in, in musicals, in the musical field. Have People you, yeah. will be the star in one role and they'll. Again, it's part of that supporting. Yeah, I think it's fun. Doing to, the work, yeah. It's fun to yeah. do that. It takes the pressure off of you, too, I think, as a performer sometimes to just do. I mean, like when we did Humble Boy, Annabelle played the, you know, the sort of slightly loony neighbor. You yeah. Know, and Deanna played the mom. And it was, you know, I mean, in other circumstances, Annabelle might have played the mom, but she really fell in love with this smaller part. And I had just worked with Deanna in Delicate Balance and really felt like she would be great in this other part. So, it, you know, it worked out beautifully. And Annabelle just very graciously stepped aside, you know. And, and so it, I just feel like there's there's countless examples of that over the years. Well, that's why you guys have such a good reputation. And, you know, I've never heard, and I know a lot of actors in town, I've never heard anybody whine and cry about, <laughs> oh, they use the same people over and over again. They all say, I just hope there's a part that fits me, you know, <laughs> no. because they, believe me, if you said we're looking for two or three more uh, ensemble members, the door, you're, the line would be down the fuller pin. Yeah, oh well, that's very kind. It's not. I mean, we. I, I've really worked hard at trying to treat people fairly and treat people well and give people opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise get. You know, and in rehearsal, I really try to create an atmosphere that people feel comfortable working and and feel trusted, but also feel pushed. And that's you know, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't, but I think people always feel safe in the rehearsal room. That's important for yeah, actors, isn't I it? I think it yeah. is, yeah. Because then it gives them, they feel safe, and it kind of gives them the freedom that you trust them enough for them to try a few things. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's really how I try to base my work. And I try to be very patient, let them develop something. And I, you know, feed them a lot, and I tell them jokes. So, you know. Keep it loose. Yeah, you know. So tell us some of the productions. I, this is an unfair question, but I have oh to ask. Gosh, oh tell us some of the productions you're you're proudest of, or that 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 ring true. You know that that ten or twenty years from now you'll 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 remember. Hmm. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, because I know I, I know most directors they love the current show mm-hmm. so much. Well, see, I I, I don't think I'm like that. Okay. I don't have that problem okay. i'm sure i have many other problems and thousands i haven't discovered yet but uh oddly enough you know one of the plays that keeps haunting me and this is a play that when i say this people just look at me like what in the world are you talking about but this we did a play by richard nelson called some americans abroad yes i saw yes english or you know english teachers <coughs> <coughs> from a new england college taking yeah i students. like that it was a it was, yeah, a, see, it was and, different and i that play has stayed with me forever. The, the last scene of that play, which is a, all of the characters around a table in a in a stupid restaurant, and they, but you know all of their stories so well now, and you and you know all the things that aren't being said at that table, and just watching people behave. Oh, I, I mean, that really was so much fun to work on. And the late, again, late, great, uh, dearly departed Gene Jansen, it was the first time I'd worked with him, and he played the 
the retired professor yes. who in that scene got very, very drunk. And watching Gene, I don't know how in the world he did this, but his face just got more red and more yeah, red as the scene went on. And he got more and more belligerent. And everybody around him was being affected by it. was like watching, you know, it was like watching a tsunami happen in the, you know, in this little table. And that that play has just kind of haunted me. For, I liked it. For years. Gene was a good man. And, and, uh, I, I feel sad about it, but I feel good about one thing, that I interviewed him a few days before oh, we did had you the really? incident. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then I wasn't sure, you know, for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We weren't sure whether or not to take it down. So we, I sent an email to one to his, I think it was wife or his uh -huh. daughter. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, they're both wonderful people. Yeah, and they, and they, I think both of them, and they both said no. Leave it he, up. He, he, he was so positive about oh, yeah. it. And what a great guy. Because oh, I had known him through the years. He. He was always promoting stuff uh, like up at Apple Tree and yeah, other places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, he, he was he was a major talent too. Yeah, he was. I, I agree, and I and I loved what he did in The Best Man, and and he was so proud of that, which was great. Um, you know, I I, I, I I tend Tom to be honest to just like sort of bits of things, or I remember pieces of things. You know, I That's remember. Interesting. Yeah, I remember little sequences of delicate balance that I think, oh gosh, that was awfully good. You know, I mean, because I'm not a big, uh, you know, I feel like I'm a good director, but I don't have any dream of that I need to be the best or want to be the best or, you know, am the, you know, I mean, I just don't think like that ever. Mm -hmm. So it's just, uh, so I always feel like, you know, Someone's going to do a better job with this play sometime, and that's okay. But I'm just interested in seeing how far you get every time. You know, I thought there were sequences in Arcadia that I really loved. Yeah, there was. Uh, I really liked. Uh, I liked the production of Hapgood because it was so because the play was so challenging, mm -hmm. and there was so. And that was when we were really new to the city still, and that that play kind of put us on the map because it was just different. And it and you know it was first time Nick was in it, and and Annabelle really challenged herself in that. Yeah, role. she's proud of it. She talked about that Did role. She, yeah, yeah she I mean, that, that kind of, she turned a corner in that role, which was really exciting to see. Uh, you know, and David was magnificent in it. I mean, that... that He uh, could do the phone book and be good. Yeah, yeah. oh, I agree. But but that particular role, that, that role of the Russian physicist was just quite, quite extraordinary. It's one of the really, really great things that I've seen him do and one of the great things that I've been associated with as a, as a director. Um, so that play really has a, a, and Joe's work in No Man's Land, and you know, I mean, the, 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 so that I don't have a list of the five favorite plays because I just don't think like that. Okay. You know, I, uh, I mean, you know, I've done fifteen plays at APT, and if you asked me to, I, I'd say, okay, there's two that I think kind of got the balance of the plays right, which was Henry V and Merchant of Venice. You know. Otherwise, you know, they're, they're, the great thing about the theater is that it's just filled with failure all the time. And so that's very sort of releasing. You know, it's very, yeah. it, you don't have to worry about doing it perfectly because you know you can't. And so that just frees you to get as far up the mountain each time as you can get. And uh, Well, you guys certainly have. That, you know. And let's talk about the organization of the theater company. Your managing director, tell us about the young. I mean, she, wow. Yes, Kristen is a force of nature, um, and she really, uh, yeah. Without her, I don't think there would. 
When did she? Be- didn't she come on board? Uh, like two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah. And she'd had quite quite a background. Yeah, she. Oh, yeah. She she'd worked for equity. She'd worked. She'd been an equity stage manager. She she'd worked. That's how I met her. Actually, she was the equity representative on you know for a couple of our first shows. Okay. And uh, you know, and she was married to Craig Spidel, an actor who worked for us in the early years. Yeah. Wonderful actor. And yeah, when I hired her, I and she'll you know I just said. I'm not very public about this, so you're going to be the face of the theater. And and she didn't know anything about doing budgets, or but she's just she works so hard at getting better at the job, and she cares so much about everybody, you know. That and we've had some wonderful employees over the years, but you know she's and for many many years, you know, it was, it was Kristen and Stephanie Kulke did mm-hmm. you know the lion's share of everything um but it just uh now kulki's gone and uh chelsea keenan's in her place and chelsea's a you know a fireball too oh, yeah yeah i mean she's got tremendous energy everybody in the office now it's a great staff and it's mostly women which i like and uh and i you know i i really hugely admire them and they're they're all really good at what they do but yeah but Kristen has you know steered it all the time, and she's been tough when she had to be tough, and you know, because there were a couple of years where you know we didn't do very well, and we had to cut our budgets back hugely. Uh, one year we had to cut budgets in the middle of the year, which is very Ooh, hard to do. Yeah, um, and she got us through, and that's you know, I- I'll be forever grateful for that. I mean, she. Well, people don't realize how important. Oh, that is you know, hugely uh, important. So many theater companies, we wonder what happens to them. Oh, they did such good work. What happened to them? Well, if it's a business that's too. That's right. If yeah. you can't, if you don't know how to run the business, and you're 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 done. You'll be done. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think every successful theater in this town, you know, and we're small potatoes compared to the big ones, but the big right. ones are run by people who really know how to run things. You yeah. know, and and that's really very impressive. Well, we got a f- couple of minutes left. Ah. <laughs> uh, you feel good about the 15 years? Oh, I do. You know, I didn't start out in life to have anything to do with the theater, so this whole thing is kind of gravy to me. Um, you know, I didn't really start directing full-time until about 22 years ago. I'll be 63 this summer. So, yeah, this has been a kind of charmed... What did e- you do before? I taught school, and I owned a movie theater. And, you you know, owned a movie theater? Yeah, That's an art cool. theater in, in uh, Connecticut for six or seven years. Um, yeah, I just did a whole bunch of stuff. But what you know, got you into directing? Was this always a passion you had in the back of your mind? I mean, not to, always. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, I I went to graduate school in directing. I went to graduate school early on in history, and then I uh, taught for all through my twenties. And then in my early thirties, I went to Boston University to graduate school in directing. But I even then, I didn't think about it, that I'd be a director. You know, a director is like, you know, some artist guy, you know. And besides, I, I was much more interested in film, you know. So I was really strongly influenced, frankly, as a director by a lot of the French new wave directors okay. and by uh, Bergman and people like that. I mean, I think my aesthetic was really built by sitting in a thousand movie houses around the world watching these great movies. Um but yeah, so I, I mean, I have, I've had a, had a ball and I just feel like it's time to stop and I won't stop directing, but I just wanted to get 
some time back in my life and a little, you know, and I'm delighted that, I mean, we're so lucky that the company has both Kristen and Timothy and all the other people working for it and, a, you know, on a board that keeps building and hugely enthusiastic. So, so you feel good. Yeah, I feel good. Real, it'll yeah. keep going. Yeah, oh, no, I feel absolutely Well, with Kristen confident. running it and, and, and Timothy has such a, such a good resume. Yeah, well, and not only a resume, he's got a good soul. I, I know, haven't met I him, mean, but he's, I, I, he's, intend, I intend to. Yeah, he's just a, a very, very passionate, warm, intelligent guy. And and he really, I think, uh, we were just very, very fortunate that this that this happened. So, I, yeah, I feel serene in that, you know, I mean, I feel good about leaving and I feel great about the future of the company. So that's... So what are you going to be doing the next year or two? Well, I'm going to always continue. I'll continue my relationship working at APT okay. in, in the summers. And then I'm starting a bookstore, Arcadia Books, in Spring Green and uh, with some friends and a well, cafe. You get, keep me informed up there. Yeah, I, will. I want yeah. to get up there. And yeah, no, it's a really magnificent Yeah, that's what everyone tells me. Yeah, and then I, I assume, I'll, I mean, I'll start freelancing again. You know, so if anybody's looking for a director, you know, uh, call Tom. He knows how to find me. Uh, you know. <laughs> or just call, call your office. They'll yeah. know how to find Don't, you. Uh, right? Maybe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, all right. Sorry. Last question. Okay. Uh, what would you? What are some of the plays that you would like to do that you haven't done? Mm. Everybody has a couple of those. Yeah. You know, luckily, I feel that's another reason I feel sort of giddily fortunate because most of my lists I've done some place or another. Um, I'd love to do another Hamlet, and I'd love to do another Twelfth Night. I've never done Galileo, and I would love to do Galileo, yeah. and I would really love to do St. Joan sometime. Um, yeah, that and, needs to be done. It hasn't been done in a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a whole bunch of others. I'd like to. I would like to to do. I've never taken on. Uh, I'd love to take on rock and roll. Tom Stoppard's great play, uh, and of course. I don't think any director who likes Stoppard wouldn't like to get a crack at Coast of Utopia, but it's like. I may as well try to say I want to fly to the moon. I mean, you know, it's so big that it's yeah. impossible to do. But I, but I'd say the, that's a kind of short, glib list of things. But the great thing is, you know, there's always something. Somebody's writing the next great play right now. Mm -hmm. That's so true. That's, so, you know, and if it's got language and if it's got great stories, you'd be interested. I would. I would. Well, keep up the great work and Chicago theater. And Chicago as a city has long admired you, and you have contributed so much to the theater scene here. Well, just congratulations on 15 great years. Thank you so much, Tom. That, that means a great deal to me. Thank you. Well, and folks, get out to see the goat or who is Sylvia. It is fantastic. And remember, go see a play this week. Thanks for listening.